Welcome back to season two of the Vaccine Conversation Podcast with Melissa and Dr. Bob. Yeah, welcome in, everybody. I'm so completely excited to be back. Oh my gosh, it feels like forever. And I have been receiving so many messages from people saying, when is the podcast returning? Uh, We miss you guys. You know, there's so much going on across the nation right now. We need to talk about this, you know, um, when is it getting kicked off? And so we had a little teaser uh, a few days ago to let you know some of mm-hmm. what's coming. And we've got some really, I think, really interesting things this season. I mean, they're yes. all interesting. Yeah. And don't you think season one, of yeah. course, we had so many cool topics. and But we, we delved a little deeper this time for the beginning of this season, right? We're going to mm-hmm. bring some things that people who've been in this might not know and haven't heard and, and are and yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, and, and and today's topic was very hard to prepare for. Um, reading it, uh, I mean, I you know tears come to my eyes when I read things like this, and just how awful it is, and and what these families have to go through. So. I know, like, yeah, you and I are often, we like to have fun. We like to, you know, kind of joke around. And, and, but when it's like a topic like this, it's very hard to do that. And I'm and already I, crying. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Look, look away, look away, yeah. Dr. Bob. The, the thing about mm. what, with the seriousness of what's going on right now across the nation, mm-hmm. the gravity of the bills and the laws and this, ridiculously strong effort to silence parents and to quiet our questions and to push and force and coerce things against what we know to be safe for our children and what doctors know to be safe for our children is it's just so serious and it's so heavy and it's it's such a burden that people are carrying and these are people have been carrying this burden for some for five years some for 10 years some for 20 years or more because this has been a personal story for them and in our season one you know we covered lots of different topics and there's so much left to cover But what I find so interesting is going back in time a little bit and sort of seeing how this debate was shown to the world Mm -hmm. and our country, even just 20, 30 years ago. What was the climate like? What was the dialogue about this? Were parents listened to? How did legislators respond? And so we're going to take some of the beginning of season one, and we're going to kind of go down uh, the historical path of what we've seen with the 1986 law and and the discussion around that law and what led to that law. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go into depth on a few vaccine, federal vaccine court cases and get to know these families and get to know the way the legal process addresses these families and how different the approach is necessarily today and how quietly these court cases get handled and nobody talks about them. We yeah. want to kind of bring some of that to light in addition to a whole bunch of other things and other people. We have some right. amazing interviews coming up and. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I mean, with everything that's going on in California right now, you know, I think people might expect us to kind of jump right into, you know, the California law and what's going on. But I almost feel like, 
we live that every day and then kind of everyone who's in the fight knows what's going on. And so I know for me personally, this, the podcast is more of a, an escape from that or a refuge from that and gives us a, a chance to speak about almost like everything else, but that, and, well, plus and, the, having, and when the time's right, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that and we'll talk about it. The reason I think this is the case. And I had a really nice message last week that said that they've, they felt this podcast is like really helping to be a part of uniting this movement. And I think the, I think the benefit of maybe what we're doing in the approach that we like is it's not just state specific. We're trying, mm-hmm. we're having a national conversation. We're having an international conversation. Right. We know that we've had listeners in 92 different countries yeah. that are part of this. So, yeah. so this idea is, this is a conversation that we're having, not in a specific way, just to where you live. This is on a much broader scale. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I give uh, just a quick little mention and a shout out? You mentioned our listeners. Um, and I just wanted to give a little appreciation. Um, yeah, uh, somebody sent you and I a gift, um, you know, a, a couple months ago uh, to my office. And I just want to tell the audience and that person directly kind of what that means to us. Um, it was uh, it was Ray and Kason's mom. You know, I, I forget her name. Uh, Remember I sent your your yeah. her email address. Um, Ray and Kason's mom. Uh, you guys, you know, we greatly appreciate you. Send us a uh, a wonderful gift box of uh, of mugs and kombucha and bone and, broth. Yeah, and- bo- oh, yeah, yeah, bone broth and uh, um, uh, you know snack bars and a gift card to your uh, harmony tea bar. To harmony tea bar and, and a handwritten and, note, a beautiful yeah, yeah, handwritten hand- letter. And, but the card. Yeah, I mean the card was just amazing. It, you know, says to Doctor Bob Sears and Melissa. And her kids drew a picture of us, you know, and yeah. it's, it's what you'd expect. I've seen Serenity draw, you know, a lot of the same kind of you people, know, mm-hmm. people, people, uh, it really touched my heart. And I, I think this person's maybe affiliated with, uh, uh, you know, a sheriff department and, uh, they sent us a badge and that's right. I remember, uh, opening the box and, uh, and I took out one of the mugs and one of the mugs, you know, said boss. And I was like, Oh, what a great mug for me! I sure hope they got Melissa a mug too. And, uh, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, they sent her a, a boss lady, which you certainly are. Um, <laughs> but no, I appreciate that. And uh, you know, aside from just you know getting sort of the material gifts, I think that just the thought. Well, the amount of effort it takes for somebody to put this together. I mean, she had this beautiful calligraphy style writing on the card, and you're taking this time, and you think something that we are doing. And of course, more so you, because you've had, you know, for you, you have these patients and and you've been um, a source of inspiration for people for much longer than I have. But just knowing that our collaboration is something that people are rewarded by and that they feel inspired to write a handwritten letter who does that anymore and needed to drop it off and let us know. I mean, it is it's it's very humbling and flattering, of course. And I brought you, uh, someone sent you a gift. I brought it. I don't know if you're going to open it later. Oh, look that's at it so now. nice. Someone sent a gift to my office, but just totally just for you, like you and your kids. And that's, they're gift that's, wrapped and there's a card. So I'll, I'll show you that later. But 
Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and we've been waiting yeah. to get back to this yeah. because, yeah. like Dr. Bob said, we don't want to jump right into the California law, not just because we live it, but also because it's not clear what's happening mm-hmm. yet. And there's a lot of last minute things that have come up and things are scrambling and people are scrambling and we won't really know where the dust settles for another week or two. So we don't want to come in and give our discussion on it until we sort of know. Mm-hmm. But also, again, this is bigger than California. And I think my biggest thing is, so I'll say, speaking of California law, um, we, during the floor sessions this last week in Assembly and Senate, I noticed something that was different. And that thing that was different was a on, an open discussion of vaccine injury. There were several legislators who mentioned it as fact. It was not um, this urban legend that, that you know, Senator Pan likes to paint it as. And that I thought was a very positive directional move that the parents, understanding that the parents that are here in opposition are parents who have had this happen to them. And mm-hmm. that's why they are so opposed. And so for... Parents like us, we don't get to be a part of that floor session discussion, and we're counting on our representatives to be our voice. There were so many representatives that just mentioned how certain children get hurt. It was with a period at the end of the statement. And I thought that that was very uh, hopeful that we can start to normalize the reality of what's happening. There's not Mm -hmm. a single person in this world that can say it doesn't happen. And I mean, it's just not statistically backed by data. Yeah. The the scientists, no, no, not even the, not the research scientists, the media doctors, the the spokespeople, the lawyers, you guys know the three or four people I'm talking about. They will repeat until their, until their grave that vaccine injury is not real there is no conclusive evidence right. of vaccine injury. And that just, that, you know, just uh, is so wrong on every level. And that's what we're here today for. Uh, we're going to explain one particular case. Well, I mean, of, just a very the fact clear that vaccine injury. They're talking right? about it is, is yeah. a sign. It's that, a is, sign. that is really cool. It's better yeah. than four years ago because yeah. there was less of that discussion in these floor sessions four years ago. Now we're seeing a little right. bit of that. Right. And so the reason we're bringing this case to you today, this is something that I found um, a couple months ago, that in 1992 and around that time, where you know court cases were happening, injuries were happening, there was media still covering these injuries. Right. And so I came across a 2004 article that discusses some injuries, and we're going to do a separate podcast on that. And one of the cases is the cases we're going to go in today. And this is just not something you would ever see in the media today. So my discussion with the media is, does that mean it's not happening anymore? Or does that mean that nobody's covering it? Right. And if nobody's covering it, we know it's still happening. Then where is the ethical responsibility for the journalists and the reporters in that case? Because the same newspapers were covering this back 15 years ago and 20 years ago and 25 years ago and 30 years ago. We're talking about the LA Times, the New York Times, major publications that were acknowledging the vaccine injury. And so I find it really interesting to go into the actual documents and look at the court decisions and get an idea of what is an example of this kind of story and learn more. And so I found this particular story extremely heartbreaking, of course, and compelling and um, 
And this is exactly why parents are standing up across the nation and across the world to have rights for medical interventions for something exactly like this. And I was so pleased to mm-hmm. see so many legislators acknowledging their constituents that came into their offices to tell them stories like these. Warning, I should say, this is a very heavy story. And it's um, maybe hard to listen to for for some of the listeners. Maybe this isn't an episode you would necessarily want your kids joining in on, because I know some of you have your kids listening mm-hmm. um, to it. So this is maybe more for slightly mature audiences that can kind of understand the gravity of what this looks like. Because for many of us, we see injuries that are not fatal. But right. injuries that are fatal is a completely different ball game. And that's what this story is about. So this story, did you have something you wanted to say? No, no, no. This, this is the story of a boy named Dustin Barton and he filed, uh, excuse me, his mother filed a court case in the early nineties after he originally experienced vaccine reactions to his DTP vaccines that he had at two months, four months, and six months. What's really interesting about this story and what really struck me, the part that just made me angry and made me recognize myself in this story and all these parents in this story, mm, yes, is the part where the doctor didn't listen to the parent. Right. And this is how this story starts. This boy gets vaccinated at two months old, okay? And I will read to you exactly. This is yeah, in can 19- I, um, do you want me to, to read the, the actual reaction? Not yet. Part? No? Okay. Not right. yet. Right. So this is 1991 is when this case was filed. His original vaccination appointment was in 1989. Okay, this is still after the 1986 law. This is, there's no more liability now for manufacturers. And this is kind of the first wave of cases that is coming after that law passes, and now you have to go to federal vaccine court to to settle something when there's an injury. So in 1989, this is in January, he has his first DPT vaccine. He has the same vaccine at four months, and he has it again at six months. What happens at two months, and this is not necessarily the, the full thing to read, what happens at two months is he starts having seizures, but his mother calls them shudders. She doesn't necessarily know what's wrong, but she sees something's wrong. And she brings that information to the pediatrician. She says to him, she calls him and she says, this is how he's behaving. Something's wrong. And like so many of you that are listening to this right now, and this phrase is probably just going to completely rub you the wrong way. But the doctor said, no, it's nothing to do with the vaccine. It's just normal. Kind of, you don't know really what you're talking about. Dismissed her concerns. Dismissed her um, her testimony of what she had seen. And basically what she says considered her a hysterical mother. And the kicker in all of that, he does not document it. He decides not to write this down into the medical files for this child. This is at two months. And and can I can I add to that though? uh, Not just the shuddering that began. 
a child had a very clear encephalitis reaction to the two-month vaccines, that's completely clear. I mean, the way she describes it, nonstop, inconsolable, high-pitched right. screaming. And she also notified the doctor over the phone about that. And the doctor, like all doctors do today, oh, that's just a normal reaction. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, the, the child's going to be fine. And half the problem is, is this is going on over the phone, not in person, back in the office. But number two, the doctor is so negligent in ignoring the probably the most prominent warning about this vaccine there is. Right. If you have nonstop, high-pitched, inconsolable screaming for three or more hours after a DTP vaccine, it says right there in the package insert, right there, it's probably even bolded at the top of the package insert, if a baby has this reaction, it could mean encephalitis, brain swelling, brain inflammation, and this is a warning not to give the vaccine again. Right. It's so plainly stated. But worse, the fact that he literally did not take into account what she witnessed. Right. So it wasn't even a matter of like, I'm a doctor and I see what you're saying. Like, I'm watching what you're seeing, but it's not to work. You're over overreacting to what this is. He did not see it, did not see the child and just blatantly dismissed her. And this right. is this is what I found really interesting about the way the federal vaccine court works. You have medical records and you have testimony. Right. The medical records have more weight than the testimony does by the rules of the court. Okay. So when you have medical records, they're going to go based on what is said there. When your doctor does not document what happens, your medical records do not tell the entire story. Okay, so this is what I found was really interesting in this. In this court opinion, in the settlement opinion, it says the medical records in this case were significantly incomplete. Yes. Okay, it says the medical records did not contradict the testimony. They were lacking in relevant details caused in part by the failure of the treating physician to consider as significant the concerns that the child's caregivers related to him. Dr. Merrick, Dustin's treating pediatrician, dismissed their concerns and failed to document them. He believed Dustin's mother was overreacting and Dustin's symptoms mm. following his vaccination reaction were never recorded. Okay, right. so that's just the first part of this. His two-month appointment, he has these reactions. The mother tells the doctor, not only does he dismiss her, he does not document it. Right. She believes him that there is maybe no further risk, and they vaccinate again at four months. At four months, he has additional problems. The problems continue to show up with the shuddering and these things that what ends up being a seizure activity. Um, and again, the doctor dismisses it. Okay. And this is why this is so important, you guys. Obviously, what happens at two months and four months is already awful. Right. And the encephalitis reaction happens again. Right. At, at four, four months. months. Yeah. But what is really the worst part of all of this is that she continues again for a third DPT shot at six mm -hmm. months based on this same pediatrician's recommendation. 
And that moment causes brain damage for her child forever. Right. That's when it goes into actual medical encephalopathy. That is the moment everything changes. Right. So she goes to find another doctor. And that other doctor, upon hearing these things and seeing the child, realizes what happened at two months and what happened at four months was a seizure disorder. Now, this is another really big point of this case and something we keep hearing in in our legislative battle and other states as well. The idea that one doctor doesn't believe it's a vaccine injury doesn't mean it's not a vaccine injury. You've got parents who have to go and find other specialists and who knows how many she had to go to until she found somebody who recognized what had happened. So when you have only a handful of doctors writing medical exemptions like we see across the nation, but especially in California, you have to seek out people like that. That does not make that activity fraudulent. That means you've got doctors who are unwilling to connect the dots. So you have a specialist that she goes to. Okay, says, and, and it says in the court opinion letter, not until another doctor observed the child and diagnosed a seizure disorder did the pediatrician recognize the child's symptoms as serious. So the original mm-hmm. pediatrician did not believe the mother until another doctor that she had to go find confirmed what she was seeing. Right. Okay, so not only does he dismiss her, not only does he not document it, and this is all, he was interviewed, he had, you know, he had to give testimony in this case, and he had to admit that he did not listen to her and he did not document it. And then what happens from two months to four months to six months turns the tide for the rest of his life and her life, and it's irreversible damage, all Mm -hmm. because the pediatrician did not heed the warning that the mother had given him because she did not consider her, he did not consider her opinion as valid or valuable. Right. And and, and he, how many times do we see that? Yeah. And it's, and I, I can probably guarantee that uh, maybe, or maybe not, but this is probably true for most doctors. And it's not just that he didn't heed it. It's probably that his training failed him because he probably never even read the DTP vaccine package insert. He probably had no training on it. And no, you know, none of his medical school teachers or residency teachers probably even told him, oh, by the way, the one thing you have to watch out for with a DTP vaccine is encephalitis and neurological changes. If you ever hear of that, be warned, damage could have been done. He was, prob- he was probably never even told that. Right. And then what he was told is a complete, you know, opposite of that. Vaccine reactions don't happen. Moms are always going to be hysterical. Babies are going to be expected to fuss and scream for a few hours. Don't worry about it. And when, you know, if you do get a call about a vaccine reaction, don't worry, it's coincidental. And, and also, you know, don't worry, you're not liable for it and no one's liable for it. So it's not like you have to even pay close attention to it. Um, that's very sadly how doctors are taught. And it's, it's incredible, the, the, incredible that the package inserts have these warnings they legally have to put the warnings in there in order to get the vaccine approved. You know, our government isn't going to approve the vaccine, isn't going to approve the vaccine unless the vaccine maker puts all the right warnings. They put them in there. So why are not doctors taught the 
first two, you know, major warnings about the DTP vaccine, how to recognize it, every doctor should right. immediately be able to say, oh my gosh, that sounds like encephalitis. Come into the office tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll see your baby. Let's not do that vaccine again. That should just be automatic. And I would almost say that any doctor that does read the package insert probably becomes aware of that, but no one does. They're taught the opposite and it's a great tragedy. It is. And, and one thing that I really resonated with was what the doctor told her it was. His response to her after... Colicky. He said, stuff, yeah. the, the infant, these are startles or it's just, quote, a habit that the infant has gotten into. Right. And the screaming was just colicky screaming, he says somewhere. And, and just yeah. writing that off as something like, it's just, this is what babies do. And, and this is what's so hard because as a first time parent, you don't know what is or isn't mm, normal yeah. for infants. Yeah. And an infant is very different than a toddler and older child. The types of movements that they make and things are oftentimes, you know, a little odd, like as they're learning to experience the world. And so for a parent who doesn't know what is or isn't normal, and you see these types of repetitive movements or things like I know with people and things I saw in Serenity, these like almost like these infantile spasms, you see this, you don't know. And when a doctor tells you, oh no, it's fine. But part of you says, I don't think it's fine. What can you really say as a mother other than trusting that doctor's opinion? And so specifically and if you did you want to read what the specific things were for two months and four months or yeah yeah I, I I do I mean this is um okay so I'll try to get through this um so this is you know verbatim from the legal documents the first DTP DPT shot was administered on September 15 1988 when Dustin was two months old the second one was given at four months the medical records for the second shot state, State, the medical records state that Dustin had no reaction following his first two sets of immunizations. So think about that. The medical yeah. records show zero negative adverse response to either his two months or his four months four, four month vaccination. Right, right. Because legally, the doctor is actually supposed to ask, did you have any bad reactions previously? Legally, they're supposed to. There's probably a checkbox in the chart. And he should have right. documented where, where they just check, they, they just check all the, all the boxes automatically without even asking. I mean, it right. should have been in the chart that she right. called him right. with these concerns. Yeah, so, um, so uh, after the first shot, Dustin exhibited extended bouts of inconsolable, excessive, severe, and prolonged screaming that persisted for hours specifically through the first entire night. And I still hear that over and mm. over again today, over and over again, even though we don't use the old DPT shot anymore, we use the acellular version, I still hear the same thing. He seemed to recover, however, and his development appeared to be unimpaired. The second shot given at the four-month checkup was followed by a reaction similar to the one described after the first shot, including the high-pitched totally inconsolable screaming bouts for many hours, followed by other bouts of intermittent screaming that continued for weeks. I hear that mm -hmm. again repeatedly. The, the first hours of screaming, you know, are three, four, five, ten hours of nonstop screaming, but then intermittently, right. you know, between the lethargy, you know, the other extreme, and then screaming just, just over and over again for weeks. And, and the thing is, colic 
almost never just starts, you know, coincidentally at two months after the first vaccine. But that's what most doctors write this off as. They just say, oh, it's colic. And I've heard more that it starts more like six weeks would be more. Yeah, colic is like, like, you know, one week, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. It's it's Mm -hmm. almost always before the first big set of vaccines. Okay, so... On both occasions, after shot number one and number two, the doctor was informed by telephone, but he dismissed the reactions as normal, reassuring them that it was merely colic. He did not observe the child. So at six months... We'll stop stop there for a second before mm-hmm. we get into the specifics of six months. How many times have people listening right now heard that this exact quote, he dismissed the reactions as normal? Like how many people listening right now, like as you're listening... How many of you heard that exact statement about your own child? Mm -hmm. I did more than once. How many times do we hear this reaction is normal? It's so normal, in fact, that I'm not going to even write this down in the records that it was a reaction. It's just normal. That's it. As if this is completely fine. What you just read This is completely fine that he had inconsolable, excessive, severe, and prolonged screaming that lasted for hours with intermittent screaming the weeks later. That's totally normal. And it's fine. And it's, quote, not a cause for concern. Right? Right. I mean, think about what level of cognitive dissonance that we are in, that we can allow a child to experience something like that, and we can say it's normal. Right. And then we can tell their protector, their parent, mm. it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's, quote, not going to happen again. That was what I heard. And then you go again, and then it happens again, and it's still normal. Right. And it, it breaks my heart to think medically and physiologically what is causing the screaming. It's literally brain swelling. Right. Your brain... You know, encased in your skull, your brain is is swelling Pushing against your skull, yeah, and right? and has nowhere to go. You know, you have your soft spot, um, but that usually doesn't bulge out enough for parents to notice. And and inflammation, your you know the the white blood cells, the immune system in your brain is releasing all kinds of irritating chemicals, releasing all their toxins in response to this this insult. That's what is causing the screaming, and that's what the baby is having to deal with for the first night. They and then can't communicate to they us. They can't communicate it. And then the immune system calms down, so the screaming stops after the first night, but then it keeps coming back intermittently. And that just, that just breaks my heart because medically we know that's what's going on, but, but people just aren't, aren't willing to, uh, to acknowledge it. So before you mention what happened at six months, I also want to acknowledge this boy, Dustin, was born a few, a few weeks premature, about five weeks premature, and he was born with what they have, PVL, as a genetic condition. Um, it's, it's periventricular leukomalacia, which most, did you want to explain it? Yeah, I mean, which most, uh, a lot of newborns are born, or a lot of premature babies are born with that. And all it means is um, some of the white matter in your brain hasn't fully developed. That's all it means. It might mean that your development might be a little slower. You know, you might uh, be slower to reach your milestones. But PVL does not cause the sudden onset of seizures or sudden 
neurological damage. It's it's it just causes delays, and and that's uh, that ten, ends up clouding this case in a very big way. It does. The reason I mention this is because. In this federal vaccine court case, the attorneys for the judicial department essentially build their entire case on the fact that this boy, Dustin, has PVL, this genetic condition, and that is what was responsible for his injuries. Mm-hmm. Because there's more to this story. Um, we've talked about the fact that he had this brain damage that happens at six months, and, and Dr. Bob will go into those details shortly. But... The reality of what happens here is there was an entire list of things that went wrong in this court case that caused delay after delay after delay Mm -hmm. for this family. And meanwhile, Dustin has this very severe seizure disorder that is ongoing during the process. And, and I'll explain kind of what happens and then we'll go back to the, to the points again to walk you through it. But Delay after delay, and I will read exactly what that what it says um, in this court case as it talks about these delays. It says this case this case met with agonizing delays. It said the judicial department substituted counsel constantly. There were grant they were granted several extensions of time to quote enable a complete review of evidence. Um, Lori, his mother, continued to file for judgment. There were further delays, and it handicapped the process of this case. There was a new attorney um, appointed to the case. There were all sorts of issues that came up. And what Lori felt was happening, and this is what she says, is she felt they were waiting for her son to die. Yes. So that they would not have to pay out such a large sum of money. And for those who don't know, when a child dies and you have sued the federal vaccine court, you are capped out at $250,000. So Dustin's injury was a table injury as it related to the seizure activity and the encephalitis and later encephalopathy. So that type of injury requires that full lifetime care can be a multi-million dollar award. Right, on the vaccine injury compensation table. Right. Yeah, they call it a table injury. For and sure. what happened after these delays is the worst part of all of this. Dustin dies during the case. Six years into this case, mm-hmm. this mother is fighting for her child. Delay, 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 and he dies. She continues to fight the case after his death. Mm-hmm. And she ends up winning the case. And I want people to understand what that means. That means that they proved without doubt that, yes, in fact, the vaccine was responsible for his injury and his seizure disorder and the ultimate seizure that killed him. But at this point, her child's already gone. Right. And it just, how awful of an experience is that to be spending eight and a half years fighting a court case for an injury to your child who is no longer with you because of the injury you sustained. And you spent eight and a half years fighting and being cross-examined and being attacked. And I have some information on exactly how she was treated. And she was literally hanging on by a thread to fight for her child when something so tragic happened. And 
it is just unbelievable that this mm-hmm. kind of thing can go on and this can happen. And this story was covered by the LA Times in 2004. Again, not something that you would ever see covered today. So I just want to give you the gravity of sort of mm-hmm. what this means and how heavy this really is for this woman who is fighting for her child after knowing what happened to her child at two months and four months. Six months is what caused that change that became permanent for him, for Dustin. And that seizure activity never regained, he never regained normalcy um, neurologically at all for the rest of the time. And he spent his toddlerhood, early childhood uh, years suffering from this disorder and eventually succumbing to this disorder, all while his mother had to fight to prove what really happened happened. And it is such a travesty that families are going through this. You know, this case is not just about a terrible vaccine injury. It's about the way that they handled a mm-hmm. terrible vaccine injury. And it's about the fact that these kind of things are still happening and they're still being handled this way. And worse, they're not being covered. Right. Because that's the state of, of affairs that we're in now. So we're, I wanna, we'll go back to some of these things and we're going to kind of hop around on this because yeah. I find this so interesting. But let's go back to six months. Let's talk yeah. about what happens to him that made that six-month appointment shift for him that caused what was just a seizure disorder to turn into lifelong brain damage. So at six months uh, during the appointment, the doctor concluded that Dustin was a well child and ordered the third DPT vaccination. And this is hard to read. Although his mother and grandmother questioned the wisdom of subjecting the child to what they feared might be a third adverse reaction. How many times has that happened, you know, to, yeah. to our listeners, you know, that the mother and the grandfather and the grandmother at this visit, Dr. Merrick noted that Dustin was beginning to hold up his head with some regularity. That's a little delayed. I would say if you're just doing that at six months, but, um, Within 24 hours of his third DPT shot, Dustin developed again a fever, but this time he demonstrated additional, more ominous neurological signs, including reduced responsiveness, loss of milestones, loss of head control, slow development, and an abrupt and dramatic change in personality, all of which again is listed as very clear warnings. On, on not only the package inserts, but also the CDC vaccine information statements. And how many times have degree. you heard those yes. symptoms in your office yeah. from people coming to you? A even, change in personality. Yeah, even a unusual behavior or, or, or behavior changes are listed as a significant warning. His legs became stiffened, although his head was notably floppy. He no longer looked at things most typically staring off into space and squinting his eyes. It became apparent that whereas prior to his shot, there was evidence that he was tracking and following, after the shot, he was no longer seeing. He no longer watched the ceiling fan or grabbed at his play gym or had direct eye contact. A family friend testified that one day he was okay and the next day after the third shot, he was not. The infant also began to demonstrate sudden manifestations of recurring repetitive movements 
um, described as brief shudders that continued to increase in frequency and severity. The treating physician did not see this, dismissed them as chills due to the low-grade fever, but when they did not stop, the doctor just said they're a habit. As stated earlier, when an, another doctor finally observed the shuddering, he diagnosed them as seizures. Within a few weeks, other neurological, neurological signs became apparent. I mean, what, what, what could even go, you know, be worse? Um, the medical records finally document drifting of the right eye, ocular palsy, we've talked about that before, and mildly delayed gross motor functioning. You know, mildly is, is what the doctor wrote down. The treating pediatrician provided a letter, um, finally, you know, for the hearing, confirming in hindsight that the mother did communicate all these concerns and that the vaccine was causing the possible seizure activity and that he agreed to eventually eliminate the pertussis component of the shot and subsequent vaccinations. And this is after all of these things have happened. He now decides it might be a good idea to not continue with that vaccine anymore. And just that one right. part of that one vaccine. But what parent yeah. would witness all of these things and want to come back and give their child something else? Right. How, how do you expect a parent to, how can a parent trust you? How can they trust you as the pediatrician who just told me it was normal at two months, it was normal at four months, and oh yeah, I should have listened to you, but let's continue with everything else. I wouldn't trust that pediatrician to be able to tell me what the side effects were for the other vaccines because apparently he didn't pay attention to the ones for this one. Mm -hmm. How do you move forward? You know, as a parent, just along with the program when this is the kind of reality you are experiencing. I mean, it defies logic to think that you want to call these parents science deniers. Like mm. these are the parents who you think are uneducated when this is the experience that they're coming across. I mean, there are so many of these stories that don't make it to federal vaccine court that you won't find a court opinion on, but they're still happening. And it's the same thing or same type of thing or variation of this thing. It's the same dynamic. The mother doesn't know what she's talking about. The doctor dismisses it as normal. They continue vaccinating. The problems get worse. And then, and now, and then the kid gets kicked out of school. I mean, right. what's right. happening right now is unreal to me. Right. And yeah, and then tying it into to school, just briefly what's going on right now, according to the new California law, if it does finally pass, a child like Dustin would be medically excused from more doses of the pertussis component of the DPT vaccine. He would still have to get more doses of DT, and he would still have to get all the rest of the vaccines simply in order to continue in school. And that is, uh, that is just uh, so beyond tragic. What I found was interesting relating to the PVL and this, again, genetic condition that he had and how they were trying to argue that that was responsible for the seizures. Again, not so much genetic. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's more like developmental okay. as a result of prematurity. But they, to me, they made it seem like he was just born this way and this is a condition that he has, but yeah, I understand yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, because of prematurity, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So what was interesting is the experts for Lori, Lori, the experts that she hired, that she, that's what you have to do. You have to, the burden of proof is on you and it's your responsibility to hire your expert testimony, the doctors to argue your case. And her experts said that his PVL condition would not be attributable uh, the, the seizure activity would not be attributable to the PVL and that you don't often see what they have in here is mental retardation and severe seizures. That's not a typical connection to PVL right. and that there is no likelihood that that is responsible for it. Meanwhile, the doctor on the other side for the judicial department continued to push that narrative. And here we are again, two doctors on two totally opposite sides. How do we know who is right and who isn't right? And how can two doctors have two totally different opinions? And if that's the case, then why are we discarding doctors writing medical exemptions for their opinion of a vaccine injury compared to the ones who say, no, that's not legitimate and that doesn't happen? I don't understand how in medicine, it's constant that you see this disagreement in medical opinion. But when it comes to vaccines, for some reason, we're supposed to assume all doctors agree. And if you're a doctor, you would know better. And so the consensus for doctors is that vaccine reactions hardly ever happen. And according to Senator Pan, something like a febrile seizure is not worthy of a medical exemption because they are, quote, harmless based on the research. And we're going to do an entire podcast on that for those who are interested in, in seizures and febrile seizures. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting point. Um, how can they, you know, find these doctors to testify on behalf of parents of vaccine injury if vaccine injury isn't real? And you're right. It does highlight there are differing opinions in medicine. Very different. Yeah, yeah, hugely different opinions. And that's why there's always going to be doctors that will agree with, you know, vaccine exemptions. And um, I, I wanted to just kind of highlight, um, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s in in medicine, and that's when I was trained in pediatrics, we talked about there's this this uh, this uh, kind of constellation of symptoms that, that was termed mental retardation and cerebral palsy. Um, the cerebral palsy means, you know, brain injury, you know, brain injury of the cerebrum so that the nerves there no longer work. So you, you can barely move, your your muscles are tight and flexed and you you're not, you know, you're not really aware because of all the brain damage. And they they talk about here how eventually uh Dustin suffered from cerebral palsy from this. And then they, they use the term mental retardation simply because your mental development was slowed down. Right. It was slowed down. Yeah. And then we, we don't use that term so much anymore, but that was a very a common clinical term. That was a very, mm-hmm. uh, very commonly used clinical term back then that Dustin very clearly eventually suffered from. And so I want to read you some of the details about the expert on the side of the judicial department, which was Dr. Lucy Rourke. Um, who was Mm -hmm. the one claiming that this PVL is responsible. And what she says was she considered the possibility of a DPT reaction, quote, patently absurd, end quote. She said the literature contains no specific central nervous system lesion that bears a cause and effect relationship to DPT. Okay. Yes. This is what she says. And she goes on to say, um, she goes on to say, and and I appreciated the court opinion, writing down 
the reality of this. I mean, this could have been written, this whole summary could have been written very differently, not including these details. But what the court opinion says is Dr. Rourke is unwilling to consider even the plausibility of a vaccine-related event in her zeal to propound its absurdity. They're saying to her, it is absolutely absurd for there to be a connection between what happened to him and the DPT vaccine. This sounds a lot like what Senator Pan might say. It's not responsible for it. There is no literature to say it's responsible. We know they don't cause X, Y, and Z. She was so hellbent on on her opinion that vaccine injuries can never happen. She will not even consider the plausibility of it. Okay, so we talk about the science not being settled all the time. We talk about the medical um, professions and how science is always changing. How can you not ever consider plausibility of something? Because Mm -hmm. information is always changing. New information comes to you. You have to be open-minded enough to potentially see all possible, you know, causes for something. If you have your mind so made up that the vaccine could not be a part of it, then this is why this child was brain damaged. Because his doctor did not see the plausibility of a connection either. So the expert in this case didn't, the doctor, it's just not on his radar. And so he blindly has this child go into more doses of something, causing the end of his life, causing him to die. Like this is, we're talking next level. You know, when people want to say, oh, vaccine injuries, are you talking about redness and soreness at the injection site? This is what you hear people. And I know you guys listening totally know what I'm saying. You often hear them just totally minimize what what we are talking about here. We're talking about a child who died as a direct result of negligence of his pediatrician to not listen to the warning signs, listen to his mother, who was his caregiver and his grandmother, and not be educated on the potential adverse reactions, signs to look for. And this child dies. And the doctor who is testifying against the mother is telling the court, It is absurd to think of a connection between this vaccine and an injury. It's just not plausible. So her inability to see all sides of this is absolutely limiting her ability to be a good doctor and to serve patients and clients. And it says the court finds uh, her conclusions poorly supported. And that her arguments were incomplete and it basically took away her credibility for the fact that she could not even see plausibility there, good. which, which, yeah. yes, of course right. that's good. Now, is that still happening? I don't know. This is 1992 or whenever this is. Yeah. And, um, and what's, what boggles my mind is this exact reaction is the whole reason the 1986 vaccine right. injury act was created. I mean, they, this was the most commonly reported reaction encephalitis and encephalopathy. That's the whole reason for this whole law. That's the reason why this court existed right. in which this, you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Rourke, yeah, is testifying in. And she has the the gall to, to say, sorry, you know, the, this reaction is not even possible. It's not plausible. It's absurd. And that just, again, it boggles my mind. And it's, it's sad that, the, core, the, the vaccine injury court's whole purpose 
is not to compensate those who are injured. It's to fight to deny compensation. That's why they That's exist. what it really is. Right. That's what it really is. Whereas the original purpose. What it says it is. Right. It, it's, is it says it's like a, um, uh, an easy, reasonable, right. uh, you know, a fast process that is supposed to identify injured patients and compensate them within nine months to a year. And people can go through the process. It's not combative. And, and, and it is now turned in the complete opposite, but even back then, see, back then I would have thought it would have been easier, but no, this, this is evidence that even back then at the beginning of the yeah. VICP, uh, it was, it was, it was this, you know, horrific experience with someone with, with lawyers, number one job is to deny your injury happened. And that's, that's not equity. That's. That's, uh, I don't know, that's like the, the worst possible use of our judicial system. And think about the pain the parents have already gone through in the injury oh, to begin with. I know. And then they have to go through the pain of being attacked and the pressure yeah. and the push. And so the conclusion that the court had was that this idea that PVL was responsible for the child's injury, there was not enough evidence to establish that connection. There was not enough standard of proof um, given by those experts. And that it says a preponderance of evidence leads the court to conclude that the onset of the post-vaccinal seizures within the timetable and the explosive nature of the injury and the deficits that followed constitute clear evidence of a vaccine-related encephalitis encephalopathic event that led ultimately to Dustin's death. So the conclusion shows, yes, it led to the seizure activity and yes, it led to the death. But there's more tragedy with this story because Mm -hmm. while this is happening, the six years into this and Dustin dies and his mother, Lori, is still fighting. Mm -hmm. She develops an autoimmune disorder, an autoimmune disease, essentially lupus is what she develops and her body starts to deteriorate. And it's even noted in some of the court documents of her illness. So by the time between year six and eight and a half, when the court was settled, they were aware that the mother was extremely sick. And within a year of this case being finalized, she dies. Yeah. And for a child who's six years old, that means she's got to be in her forties at the latest. And all I can think to myself is what utter stress and pain must she been under Mm -hmm. to have her body essentially attack itself and cause herself to, you know, essentially wither away and die in such a young part of her life. I mean, just the amount of difficulty and pressure and everything she was under, not only does her child die and she has to still fight to prove what was right, but then she ends up dying too. I mean, it is just the most awful thing that you can imagine. And the the kind of things they did to her, the pressure they put her under and the delays they gave her, the the hoops, the the obstacle course. I mean, what kind of parent can go toe to toe with judicial department attorneys that are, Mm -hmm. like you said, designed to eliminate you? They are designed to get rid of the case. How do you fight against that when you're a parent who is barely surviving with a child who has been hurt? I mean, I just, I remember reading this and just being blown away. Yeah. Yeah. And if, 
I know this this exact case has happened tragically to some of our listeners and and I think a lot of our listeners probably have have had their children suffer milder uh, uh reactions as well and I think um this could be something very useful if if you have family members or friends that don't acknowledge your vaccine injury and don't agree with it or don't understand you. I mean, I think reading about this case, listening to this episode, but reading about this case could, could maybe help open their eyes that, you know, that it breaks down that, you know, the, the medical science and the evidence as to how this child was injured. And, and, you know, again, this is still happening today. And and so if you're looking for, for people to understand you better and understand the agony you are going through, um, this case could be something useful for them to examine. And, and there's evidence, again, we'll show you later, the LA Times articles, and we'll show you now, and then this, in this post, the, uh, this actual court document. We'll include it in a link um, under the yeah. information. And so another thing I found really interesting in this is in this court opinion, they, they talk about, unfortunately, as is well known, a DPT injury leaves no footprints, a factor that is one of the major difficulties in prosecuting vaccine injury cases. And a DPT reaction is generally diagnosed by its clinical course, as in this case. One of the experts for Lori on her side said, confirmed, a child can have terrible functional problems and not see it on an MRI. He said many severely damaged children that have had encephalopathy have normal MRIs. And this Mm -hmm. is part of the problem of why when you're only looking at medical records to be the source of your proof and your MRI comes out normal, even though as a parent, you've witnessed X, Y, and Z, and you've, you've told your doctor all these things. This is why we have a problem. And this is where the education needs to happen. And it says, um, this to me is absolutely the crux of all of it right here. It finds as of 1989 from his appointments, vaccination appointments, that the DPT vaccine, the vaccination that was administered in 1989, caused or triggered his seizure disorder and significantly aggravated his neurological condition. What they say here, I think, is very important. What they say next, this court finds no rational distinction between caused and triggered. Think about this. How many times have we heard Senator Pan say vaccines don't cause X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They don't cause that. What this court is telling you, it doesn't matter if it causes or triggers it. It creates something somehow. And that is still culpability. So I feel like the medical establishment has gone around and around on semantics They keep coming back to this idea that a vaccine doesn't cause something. But if you have a genetic susceptibility and you have something there that is latent, it will be triggered by something. Why is that important to acknowledge? Because if it was not triggered, then that child would not have experienced that their entire life. So this idea of proving something based on cause... And this court admitting it doesn't matter 
whether we want to call this caused or triggered, we know that it created a disorder for him that ultimately led to his death. And it says fits the quote, classic picture of a DPT reaction. And the Mm. death certificate says the immediate cause to the seizure disorder and death it ascribes for Dustin Barton to the vaccine related injury. So even though you cannot, according to them, you know, people like to say the federal vaccine court is a no fault court. It's a no fault court, as in there's not really culpability. It doesn't mean the vaccine caused it. But to me, this line breaks that wide open because this idea of what causes something or what triggers it doesn't matter. What matters is that it created it. It created it in the child. It manifested this in the child. And we should be using this interpretation for all types of vaccine injury. When you have doctors that are writing exemptions to protect your children, it's not about what caused it. It's about, it could be what triggered it. It doesn't matter. The point is that wouldn't have happened without that particular uh, you know, environmental trigger, the thing right. that the thing that created that. And I think this is so important legally to understand that if a federal court is going to award a family money based on a trigger, because they don't see any rational distinction to them, it doesn't matter. So why is Senator Pan trying to say, or why are, you know, Paul Offit and these people that speak for the medical establishment, why are they constantly saying vaccines don't cause reactions? They trigger them. Okay, let's change the word. Let's change the word, Pan. Let's change the word off it. Now, can we agree that this is happening? Yeah, I, I wonder if they, if in their mind they know, like scientifically, you can't 100% prove causation. Exactly. And so they're using that word. I wonder if they actually know in their mind that, of course, vaccines can trigger of a reaction. They, right. Right, of course. But nobody's asking that question. Can lead to a reaction. Maybe they're just like legally stating the the only legal way to to say. That's it. what I'm saying. It's semantics. Yeah. yeah. So that they are quote not lying. Right. But they're right. also not telling the truth, and they're also dismissing and and right. disrespecting all of these families. Yeah. So so I found it interesting how this case eventually settled. Eventually ended up and and. Again, what what breaks my heart is, uh, as as you alluded to, um, uh, they like the family won a ruling, right? They they won their ruling, um, but the Justice Department, who who's in charge of fighting this, they actually were not ready to give up, and they actually considered right. appealing. Not just considered it. They right, so, went to Lori, the mother, right, and so, said, we are going to. Yeah, so Lori won. She won her case. And and of all the cases to win, this is a case to win. This is a very clear, clear, I mean, there, there's. I, I can't even imagine there's a more clear-cut, obvious DPT reaction that is scientifically irrefutable. And still the Justice Department was not willing to give up. And they, they threatened Lori right. that they were going to appeal it. And and what did they do? They threatened her shoes that they were going to appeal it and she would not be getting her settlement right. unless she kept this information out of the databases for attorneys that were there to fight additional cases for vaccine injury families. Right. And she took the deal. Right. So when you win your case in vaccine court, it becomes public record. 
if you are offered a deal or a settlement right. or something kind of, you know, behind the scenes happens like this, then the court can can shut you up and hush up and keep it private. So I don't know how this- She had paid how, so much money, right? she said, for the experts. She had paid thousands and thousands of dollars out of her own pocket with her sick child. And she is now super sick and ill. And she had paid all this money that she had no choice but to accept it because she needed to, to pay this money. But- this this court case is still technically public record. It is just not the details of the case were not allowed to be in the database again for specific okay. attorneys that deal with this, which means okay. so think about that, you guys. Why would you ever need to censor information unless there's something you don't want people to know? And if you right. don't want other other attorneys to be able to use this as legal precedence for all their other cases, which is that, uh, that was the big thing. Then that's, that's the agreement they made. They decided to pressure blackmail and threaten her. Yeah. So by taking the deal, her case doesn't do anyone else any right. good. It can't be used legally. as precedence. And, and she was quoted and, and she testified before Congress um, before her death. She, you know, actually earlier in the case, she said to me, it was extortion. Right. Yeah, because she became so ill, they had so many medical bills, not just for Dustin, but for her, she had to take the deal and she right. took it. And 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 then this just oh, this makes me so mad. Um, the Justice Department was quoted as saying they offer deals like this when the justice when the government disagrees with the decision but be, but believes that a settlement is fair and in both parties' interests. So the, I just don't see how any lawyer right. who has any any degree of honesty in them whatsoever can say that they disagreed that this was a vaccine reaction. I mean, how do they live with themselves? I mean, I, I know they have yeah. a job to do. It's their job to represent the vaccine injury fund and prevent payments. But uh, I mean... It almost makes you feel like this is like, like, you know, I don't know, you know, defending drug dealers that, you know, are guilty defending, right. you know, you know, uh, mass murderers that, that, you know, you know, are guilty. I mean, everyone deserves defense, but when you know you're defending something that's so irrefutable right? and, and officially on paper, you have to agree, disagree and fight it. I mean, I don't know who these lawyers are and, and how they can live with themselves. And I found like a little write up on this. Um, and I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know who wrote it because I found it somewhere and it was just some details on this case that I wanted to include, but it, Basically, it was very obvious that the way that the Justice Department handled this case was wrong, and they did it purposely. And it said, um, Lori Barton, the mother, was subjected to severe cross-examination by the Justice Department lawyer. The lawyer tried to pick apart her statements like a hard-nosed litigator. She felt like she was being treated like a criminal. Ugh. This is after she's already gone through all of this, already with her child. And the special master overseeing the case even called it overkill. She won her mm. first round after it took four years to get to the second round. And after the next hearing, four more years. And three months later, Dustin had a massive seizure and he died. What started out as an injury case turned into a death case because it dragged out for so long. Yeah. Um, and so, so does that mean the so they don't say what the settlement is then? Two hundred fifty thousand. Do they specify yes, that she had case. to ultimately settle for yep. that? Two hundred fifty thousand because Dustin passed away. Exactly. If, if Dustin had not passed away, it they would have gotten millions, right. multiple millions. Exactly. 
And Not that any amount of money of course could not. even matter, but oh gosh. Two years after Dustin dies is when they were awarded the compensation. <sighs> but it says there was one final indignity. The Justice Department told the Bartons they didn't agree with the decision and they wanted it, they didn't want it to be published. Hmm. They were gonna pay them, but they didn't want anybody to know about it. They didn't want it to become a precedent that might help other families, and they didn't get this agreement. Um, and if they didn't get this agreement that it w- wouldn't be published, then they would appeal the decision to delay the compensation for another year or two. It says in a private sector, this would be straight up called blackmail, mm-hmm. right? But the Justice Department was basically saying, we're not going to give you your money, even though you've gone through this, even though your son died. As Lori's dying. As she's dying, even though eight or nine money. years, um, until you agree not to publish it. But if you don't, we'll appeal the case. And it says, these are the kind of blackjack tactics that the American people just don't know is happening right now in the Justice Department. And it says they eventually were worn down after the eight years. They had lost their son. Her health was not good. So they agreed. What could they do? What did um, Lori have wrong with her? She had lupus all this time. She was going through this. She was suffering and she was so exhausted and so tired. And she finally said, Okay. And it said, that's not how Congress intended for this program to work. And these are not isolated cases. This is clear evidence of overzealous conduct by the government. And it's disgusting, frankly. Yes. And, and again, not a unique case. This is happening mm-hmm. other times. And, and it, this is making me, I mean, and, and I'll say to my listeners who are researchers out there, um, if you want to go do some delving into some court cases and bring a, a, another really interesting, compelling court case to me so that we can cover this on the podcast, I would love for you to do that since we do research a lot of things. It's hard to kind of like spend so much time finding all of these, but any of my my very intelligent and scientific parents, because that's the majority of you listening right now, we know that to be true based on our own research studies we've seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's a highly intelligent listening population we have. And so if you are the type that likes to go into history and research things and go through some court cases, I would love to, for you to bring them to me and we can talk about more of this because I think these cases, they kind of highlight a lot of things. There's the medical basis. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, there's the science to prove this is happening. There is the emotional part of these families and what they're going through and what they've had to struggle through. There's the legal aspect of exactly how this works and how difficult this really is for everybody. And there's the political part of it when you see sort of like how it's playing out with laws Mm -hmm. and things, knowing this stuff is happening. So to me, I find something like this extremely compelling and I find it extremely newsworthy. Yeah, it's, it, it really breaks my heart. Um, this kind of truth. Um, and, you know, back in the, in the early nineties, I gave my first child the DPT shot, the whole cell, the old one. Right. Um, and he, he didn't have a reaction like this as, as a lot of children didn't have reactions like this. And I mean, and it's, it's not that even like, you know, it's not, I don't even really feel like relief. I'm so glad he didn't react. I mean, that's kind of a a tiny thing to me. It breaks my heart knowing that so many did react and, and that it's real and that they continue to react. And I mean, I don't know what breaks my heart more that, you know, what's happening to the kids or what the government, how the government is treating them and how the medical community is treating them. But I think what breaks my heart the most is, the agony that these parents must feel. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. I mean, I, 
I feel a little bit just knowing I gave my child that old vaccine. Um, but to know, to imagine what Lori went through and, mm-hmm. and what Dustin's father must have gone through and, you know, what, what, you know, you've gone through and what other families have gone through. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's, there's no way for me to even conceive of it and just how that would just, just eat away at your insides and your, your heart and your stomach, your whole body. You just would slowly die inside. But as a person who's empathetic, like you are, and you're compassionate, you can understand, I mean, you can understand what they go through because you hear these stories. You don't have to have it happen to you to get why this is so absolutely wrong. And, and, you know, this is the whole point. How can anybody else listen to this? How can they hear this story and not have a heart to understand why there are people that drive eight hours to a Capitol just for 10 seconds to put their name on a microphone for public comment? Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what doctors and, and lawyers and people in the media who are pushing vaccine mandates and are vaccine injury deniers, they, they just must not have a heart. They must be all brain. To them, it's just all their brain and no heart, no soul. Um, uh, so it's just, it's tragic. And and I know this is like a heavy story to bring, but I, I'm positive every single one of you finds the value in this too, because you either have experienced something personally or you know someone who has. Or, these, or you want people to know that these this stories, is real. They have to right? be told. Right. They have to be told. How else are we going to know what's really going on? We cannot just worry about the immunocompromised child with a heart condition who may or may not be exposed to something in school, and that's why we need to pass this legislation. They will take those people and put them on the media all day long. We cannot keep talking about those children and keep ignoring these children. We have to bring this to the light. And it doesn't matter that this happened 15, 20 years, that doesn't matter. What matters is this is an example of what happens and it's still happening. And until we start to normalize vaccine injury in this country, as part of the conversation, we are not going to make headway mm-hmm. with legislation. Right. When we can start to normalize it, I mean, Senator Stone's statement talking about vaccine injury. This is a senator who is a pharmacist who co-authored a bill to remove exemptions four years ago, who is now on the floor in a quote and in a personal statement saying vaccine injuries exist for some children and future vaccine injuries are possible as well. And for that reason, we need to protect them with medical exemptions. This is a pharmacist, you guys. Sometimes it takes a bit for you to come around to really understand what's going on. But the more that that happens, the more we will finally get the public to understand why there is an opposition to mandates. It is not selfishness. It is not irresponsibility. It is not a lack of education or a lack of belief in science. It is the opposite. Yes. It is an understanding of how science changes. It is, an, it is a complete um, example of compassion and empathy for parents and for families that go through this, which is the opposite of being selfish. It is being educated. It is taking the time to do this type of research. Um, and, and that is what's responsible because mm-hmm. that is your job as a parent to, to do the right thing for your child. And if your child has already experienced a reaction, it's negligence for you to continue to put that child in the line of fire. 
That's negligence. Mm -hmm. It's your job to protect them fully. And if you know something went wrong, then you need to step up and and protect them. And and as as in uh, Dustin Barton's case, the mom thought she knew. Right. And and, and the doctor said no. That the doctor, yeah, yeah, I don't think we we could even say that the parents are negligent. They have no idea. They don't know. They have a gut feeling, but they don't have the knowledge. Is the course. doctor? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what you meant. The, but the, I mean, because yeah, the, the you, doctor has the knowledge, and the doctor is the one that's the negligent one. That the parents are just, they just don't know. And right. That's why we need to make sure they know. But the pro mandate side will say that you are negligent to not vaccinate your yeah, child. Yeah. And what I'm yeah. saying, it's negligent to continue vaccinating your child yeah, when you've yeah. seen something go wrong or they're at risk of something going yeah. wrong. I know. That's what traditionally negligence would be. Right, right. Is if you knew your child had a seizure, why would you continue to put them in that position yeah. again? And this whole this whole discussion just needs to be more open. Yeah. It needs to come out. I'm hopeful that as we start to normalize these reactions happen, even if it's to a small subset of a population, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Every single one of those children is somebody's child. Every yeah. single one of those people has a life and their family is affected by this. There is no such thing as an acceptable amount of collateral damage I know. in a program like this, especially not with the, the lack of outbreaks and public health crises. There, there, there is no emergency to, to warrant this, that right. we know that. And um, I just, I, this is my thing, is collateral damage really ever okay? Right. And as, as right. if we don't talk about it, we'll never, yeah. you know, we'll never know. All right. Well, uh, Thank you guys for um, listening to this uh, very difficult topic. I think this is probably one of the most important things that we could talk about. And and so, uh, you know, this is uh, the beginning of season two. We're going to have more deep and difficult discussions. We will also have some, some fun, you know, lighthearted discussions. You know, uh, we're going to you know hit the whole spectrum of, of, of all different topics. But I think we wanted to come out this year with uh with what's really on our hearts what's really most important to this fight thank you for tuning in yeah thank you guys for listening we're so happy we're back and we're so happy you're happy we're back (laughs) yes and we'll see you next time all right The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.